Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to hear from my sister. She's an insanely amazing woman, and I wanted to have her on the podcast because she is one of the few people that I know that actually was going back to school at 51. She was pursuing her PhD and is finishing it now. And I think that as more and more of us are starting to consider what to do next in midlife, and obviously on this podcast, we talk a lot about entrepreneurial endeavors, but we're starting to expand the conversation to talk more about what is it that we're going to do with this time, with this season of our lives in midlife? And I thought Nancy would be a great person to have on the show to discuss what she's doing uh, at this stage in her life. So welcome with me, Nancy Gillespie, my awesome sister. Hey, Nancy. This is so fun. Thank you so much, Netta. I love it. It's just fun to be 
together and just talking kind of like we would be sitting, having tea, just sharing stories. So this is awesome. Thank you. Yes, it is so fun. The only thing we'll do a little bit differently is I'm going to ask you questions um, that I know some of the answers uh, to. But why don't you just walk us back a little bit and tell us why did you want to pursue your PhD at 51? I think it's always been kind of in the back of my head. Education's always been important to me. I mean, even as a little kid, you probably remember, I was always like, oh, I want to be Dr. Nancy. Yeah. So I think it's always been tucked back in there. I didn't even get my master's till I was in my 30s. I've always done everything, I guess, the non-traditional way, but it just went, it kind of fit in my life. And really the catalyst for me with going back was man, it was so much about what I was seeing happening in the lives of young people. As a high school counselor, I was watching this generation in front of me just transform into nothing that was great. And so I really went back in search of answers. Um, I think I have more questions than I do answers, but Hmm. I believe so much in, in the role that that I play as a school counselor. So I'm actually getting my PhD in counselor education and supervision. I don't know if I felt compelled or called or what you would call that, but just very much felt like that was the next step that needed to happen. Yeah. So let's back up for just a minute so people have more context. So you, obviously your undergrad was way back in the day, post high school, and then you went back and got your master's and that master's was... That master's was in counselor education, which is really what you need to be a licensed school counselor. And you had sort of made that decision. You can check me on this. But you had two little ones, my awesome nephew and niece. And at that point, you wanted to marry your career with being a parent that was hands-on and available and have your schedule match their schedule. Was it really that you felt called or compelled to use your language Um, to work with students? Or was it more about really wanting to kind of scaffold your family dynamic in a certain way? I'd actually say both. Mm -hmm. The idea of being kind of on that school schedule, which is funny because I really don't get summers off at all. The lies, all the lies. All the lies. Um, But in theory, I think maybe July 15th, I have a day or something. Oh, oh, good. (laughs) uh, Part of it was that, but for me, I've always been drawn to just working with adolescents. Even when I was in high school, I was a volunteer with Young Life all through college. I was with Young Life. So I've always been drawn to that age range. And I think part of what was so compelling for me was I always felt very limited in what I could say and what I could do. And I I remember even as a college student doing that volunteer work and I had a student that um, was in the hospital. I just tried to take her life. And I felt so helpless. Like, what can I do to help her? And without a license, without the certification, without anything, I felt like my scope was really limited. So a big Mm -hmm. part of it was, yes, this would work well with my family, but I think I've, I've always just felt really drawn to young teenagers. Yeah. And just for our listeners who don't know what Young Life is, it's a non-denominational youth group, we'll call it. So you had been drawn to to do that work as a volunteer and then kind of one thing led to the next. Fast forward, you're 30, you pursue this master's degree. Now you're a high school counselor, which in your particular high school means you're not just counseling them through the college process. You are also their in-house therapist. 
Yeah. So as um, just a licensed school counselor, there's really three domains that we work under. It's college and career, it's personal social, and it's just academic success. And so that personal social area, though, has expanded just through the roof. And and that mental health piece has just become so pivotal because the other things kind of rely on that. They're not really successful academically, mm. and they're not really pursuing their next steps when they just feel very stuck in where they are. And so while those are kind of the professional three domains, um, I found more and more that I've been spending a lot more time in that domain. Nancy, is that a post-COVID thing, or did you start to see a decline in mental health or an incline in kids who needed more support before COVID? It started before COVID, and and I wish I knew what it was. And I even reached out to local professionals. Our um, head of behavioral health at Nationwide Children's Hospital here in Ohio, he is just a rock star. And I remember reaching out to him, and and I was so just even like thrilled that he took my call. But I was like, hey, I'm seeing a lot going on in the schools. What's happening? And he was like, I wish we could pinpoint it, but you're right. And that was probably in around 2016. Mm. Oh, much earlier. Yeah, much earlier. There was a spike in, across the country in suicides, suicidal ideation, depression rates, just the, the whole gamut was starting to rise. He and I did some presentations together. We even talked about the Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why, and different things mm-hmm. just around the idea of suicide prevention, suicidal ideation, all that. So it definitely, I saw it on the rise pre-COVID. Post-COVID, it's a different world. It is mm-hmm. every day, every day. And going back to school coincided with everything that was happening during COVID. Like it all sort of was crescendoing. How much of the work that you started to focus on was a response to COVID or even your own interest in, okay, we've got issues, but there is a long-term post-COVID effect that I, as a high school counselor, am going to have to deal with. Give us a little bit of kind of background or a little context in which of those things came first. Were they all coming together at once? I think it it was a fire hose all at once. Um, I was sitting in my living room, trying to do my job from home, trying to work with kids who were failing, who weren't in a school building, trying to coach parents to figure out what they should do with their kids because there was just a sense of being lost and I don't know what to do and I can't motivate my kid and they won't get off their phone and their phone was their lifeline. And so there was just so many messages that were coming to me and it, it was almost like people were just like kind of waving a white flag, like just help. We just need help. And so that was a big push for me and seeing the numbers. I I was actually doing some um, data the other day. It was fascinating. Pre-COVID, it was looking at data from how many kids were failing and kind of what that looked like in our school. And there was five kids that at some point were failing a class. Okay. So there's five kids failing 14 classes. I just want to point out, too, you're at a private school. Yes. So this is a place where, you know, kids don't get lost. Kids are scaffolded. And I don't mean to use sweeping generalizations, but I just think it's important to point out in your particular situation, these kids have 
teacher uh, student ratio is small and they they've got eyes on them. Yeah. And with all those protective factors, we still saw this. So that is important yeah. to kind of point that out. But just looking at the data every year since then. So pre-COVID, it was just the five kids failing at some point at, you know, a quarter, 14 different classes. And then we went to, I think it was like 15 kids and 36 classes. And then 21, 22, it was 46 kids and I think 136 classes failed. And this year we're on track to crush even that. And it's, it's the motivation is so low. Kids are just lost. They feel stuck. Um, social media doesn't help, although it has been a lifeline for many of them. So mm-hmm. how do you take that away? It was, I, I would say, a fire hose all at once. I was just seeing all these things and I'm a solution-minded person. So what's the solution? And I didn't have it. So th- that was one of my answers was, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to learn what I can. And I want to be on the other side um, of that conversation and figuring out solutions. Part of why I'm asking these questions is, while I think our audience, many of them have students in high school and might be interested sort of anecdotally, I think really the intention here is to try and help people think about or consider where their history can lead them into their future. And I don't think that's always the case. For some people, I think it's it's a hard left turn. It's a 180. But in your case, it is a building block, right? And so it informs you at 51 saying, I'm going to take on the financial responsibility. I'm going to press my time even by taking on this this load of school. And by the way, just for the record, you are working full time and going to school. So that is correct. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't leave your, your job. So for you, it wasn't just advancing my career like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, more zeros on the end of my paycheck when I do this. For you, it was, this is part of your mission. This is part of what you feel compelled or called to do. And this was, in your estimation, the answer. This was the solution Mm -hmm. to kind of whatever was a next step for you. Am I getting that right? Yeah, 100%. It just felt like a seamless next phase for me. Um, to continue learning, to continue growing, and again, to be on the other side of that conversation of what comes next. How do we help these young people to not just survive and get through, but to thrive and to be, I believe mm-hmm. so much in these young people. They are the next generation. And and so for me, passing that baton, it's that's just synonymous with who I am, really. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I can vouch for that. Talk to us about making the decision to stay working full-time while you go to school. And just so we're clear, you're not in school full-time, but you're taking one extra year, essentially, to to finish the program. Is that right? That is correct. So I'll essentially finish my PhD in probably four years, maybe four and a half, whereas a lot of people in my cohort that I started with, they'll be done in three or three and a half. So I have another, um, after this semester, just one more year of coursework and then my comps and then my dissertation. Talk to us about the load. What has that been like to have a a full-time job? Because I think a lot of our listeners are not necessarily in a situation that they can take that time off to pursue it in 
to pursue whatever's next, right, in an abbreviated amount of time. They need to do exactly, precisely what you're doing, which is how do I do this thing on the side? In your case, it's going to school. Sometimes it's launching another business, starting a nonprofit, mm-hmm. whatever. They're doing it on the side. How did you make the decision to do that? And what's it been like? I made the decision. I, I just had such full support from my school, my family. Uh, everyone I talked to just felt like that was a right next step for me and people that I really respect. My head of school said something really neat to me. And he said, you know, before you take on this decision or as you take this decision on, he said, I want you to come up with your personal board of directors. Who in your life is going to help you to know when to say no, because he knows I don't do that often. And who is going to be in your corner. And so I've relied on my siblings, my husband, my children, now that they're adults, my school um, colleagues to really kind of help. Am I doing this well? Can I do this well? And and that has been really, really just supportive and meaningful for me, knowing that I've had that support, mm-hmm. the workload. So I will say this is where COVID does come, like there were some good things because some of my classes are online. Mm-hmm. Some things they were able to do digitally and they realized, oh, we don't need another meeting. And so that was actually helpful in, in a strange way. Um, I still prefer in person. I would still rather go to campus and there's just the allure. All my classes are right by the big Ohio Stadium. And so when I'm walking by and I hear the band practicing and the drum line and all the kids on scooters that I just about run over all the time. I like being on campus, but wow, the convenience of when I have a seven o'clock at night class and I've been working all day and I just got to put on my pajama pants and sit in front of a computer screen that has made it possible. And I think higher ed is very um, cognizant of the fact that a lot of people do want to maybe go back and pursue those higher degrees. There has to be a level of flexibility Mm -hmm. that has been good. And, and my professors there who, Some of them were my professors for my master's were so important in this process as well and so encouraging and they just made it seem to me like it could be possible and they've been champions the whole way. It's awesome to have that support and I love that your head of school asked you who was on your personal board of directors. We should all have that, you know, for life, but in particular for any venture that we're pursuing. Who are the people in your corner who have your Mm -hmm. back? They have no other agenda uh, except to have your back and can be honest with you. I think that's a, a, a tool that many of us should have in our toolbox. So you're walking on campus and the band is playing and there's scooters whizzing by. How does that feel? You're two years younger than me, so you're 53. How does it feel to be on campus and have young students and probably a mix of students at the PhD level is my guess, but what does that feel like? And what did you have to mentally sort of prepare for? I mean, did you go get yourself a Jansport backpack or were you like, no, I'm going to do this differently this time? So I did get a new backpack. It was not a Jansport. It was actually this cute little classy little black bag that I love. I remember talking to um, my husband and just saying, hey, for Christmas, can I get a new computer? And I just, I'm sure people don't take paper notes anymore. (laughs) So that's been fun. Technology, I've had to learn and advance and grow. And that's that's been 
um, I, I think good for me to learn and be able to bring some things back to my school and then things I'm doing at school, being able to bring to my college life. But I, I love being on campus. I think there's just something just so fun about that. I've always liked that field. Um, I don't know. It's, it's really cool. It is different, though, because now they have these bots that are delivering students meals that they're ordering through DoorDash. So that's a little different. That didn't exist when I went to college. So despite all the technologies and stuff, my age, um, there's one other gal in my cohort that is my age. Otherwise, I would say they're probably 15, 20 years younger. Mm -hmm. And that's actually been good. I think there's something that we can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes there's things that I'm not as aware of or... I, I don't understand maybe where it's coming from. And then we're able to kind of almost educate each other. Like in my generation, this is what we might think. Or in this generation, this is what we might think. Mm-hmm. And and that's such a big deal on college campuses right now anyway, is just trying to understand the other side and what diversification really looks like. And I think age is part of that as well. I'm glad that you actually brought that up. I mean, obviously we think a lot of of middle age in particular on this podcast, but most college campuses, probably professors aside, don't have a lot of people in the classroom talking about what their generation has. I'm not going to say had to offer, has, continues to have to offer. And there can be sort of this out with the old, in with the new kind of paradigm. How have you... I mean, you said you've benefited from, I'm going to say cross-generational, right? Mm -hmm. That you've benefited from that. How do you think they have benefited from you and maybe this other woman that's in the cohort? Not specifically what have they learned from you, but do you believe that they've been able to listen or that their world has been expanded or you are the one that's being expanded? You're the stranger in this place because you're one of the outliers. Um, I think I would never say I feel like a stranger because of my age. Hmm. And I think one thing that maybe folks have benefited from, even my professors, is that I am still in the field. Mm-hmm. And so I bring a wealth of knowledge and experience yeah. and wisdom from being actively in the field. And so when I've had the opportunity to co-teach or when I've had the opportunity to sit with, and, I, and I've always had for the past you know, 10, 15 years, I've always had master's students that I'm supervising. And I love learning from them, right? Because they teach me new perspective and the latest and greatest and the who's who, but then they can learn from me maybe how to sit with the situation, how not to respond, how not to let your emotions show when you just need to be the strong one. And then when you get in the car, then you just can let that kind of go. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think there is something that we all benefit. So I've never felt like a stranger because of my age. I think it's been very welcome. And even my professors have have mentioned, you know, wow, the way you kind of navigate and you can speak to those things in a way that brings clarity is, mm. is helpful. And mm. so I think it's been, for me, a benefit and I like being able to teach those younger master's students hands-on. I mean, I don't need to dig in a book for a case study. I can tell you what I did three hours ago. And then having them unpack that in real time is good. What do you think, and maybe, you know, in addition to what you just said, what do you think the benefit of going back to school at your age might be versus 
if you went straight from master's to PhD in your 30s. How has your age made this a different or a unique experience? So I think of some of my my cohort members who finish their master's work for a few years and are back getting their PhD. And really their desire in most of those cases is to go work at a big university. They want to be professors. Hmm. That's the career goal for them. So they are doing that at a younger age, almost with that intention. Those of us that are a little older, I don't think any one of us, that's the goal. It's some of us, it's maybe to go lead a nonprofit. For me, I love K-12. It might look a little different maybe once I'm done, but those are my people. And so I want to continue to invest in them. But I, I think our career goals are different. And again, that experiential piece. I don't know that I would have learned as much in the same way had I gone back to back because mm-hmm. I would have missed. I see with my own eyes what this is doing to a generation. I don't need a data set to tell me that. Mm. I can tell you the names of the kids Mm. in my building. And so it's bringing real life experience into the classroom and then taking what the classroom has to offer and being able to pour that back into a school and a community that I've just grown to love so much. That must be a profound experience. If I were a professor, I would love having you in the class because you are bringing that real life experience. But you're also not just bringing it as case in point, like, you know, they tell a story or they do present a data set and then they say, well, Nancy, confirm this or validate it. But it's also from a point of view where you're actually bringing real-time information into the classroom that even the professors don't know of or are not aware of. It hasn't yet been distilled into um, academic information. There's something exciting about that. and, And for those of us who are listening to you and who will be listening to this podcast, I think it energizes this idea of it's not too late to pursue this education. It's not too late to imagine myself like Nancy building on this uh, career path thus far. I want to flip this a little bit. It also occurs to me that those younger and, you know, by younger, it's in their thirties, probably, like you said, that what you're learning from them, whether it's technology or just a way of thinking, those people are closer in age to some of your students than you are. How has that mindset or that way of thinking or that approach to life benefited you in your current role, in your current job? That's a great question because it has benefited me so much. And I've always sought out to understand my students, right? I've always made sure I got to listen to the music, at least in small doses, right? Who's who in that world? Yeah. What's going on in the movies? What's going on in their world? What did the terms mean? I actually have, I don't know, I'll call them my <laughs> cultural spies, if you will, but I have yeah. a few students that I'll just pull in. I'm like, hey, what does this word mean? Can I say it? The responses are funny. They're like, you could, but you shouldn't. Or no, don't ever say that. It's horrible, right? (laughs) So I've always sought after that information because if we're going to reach these young people, they want to be heard. They want to be validated. They want to um, be understood. And so now being with this other younger group in my like university experience, I am able to learn from them so much about 
culture, about mm-hmm. politics, about COVID, about just our response to things, about the world that they're living in, the lens that they see that, right? Like I can talk about 9-11 and that means nothing to any of them. Mm. They can talk about what's happening in the COVID world. And I actually heard a great statistic. The younger you are, the greater percentage of your life you lived in a pandemic. Mm. And so I try and listen and I try and learn um, because I think I can really then infuse that back into my students, my school, and how I do my job. Oh, man, they're lucky to have somebody who has both of those perspectives and can bring that education back to the school and into the classroom. This all coincided with, you know, you turning 51, deciding to go back to school. We talked about your children and um, one of them has graduated college and married and the other one is about to graduate college. And this coincided with him leaving the house and going off to school. How much was that decision to go back to school informed by his leaving the nest and you becoming an empty nester? That's funny because, and just as you said that, it hadn't really occurred to me, but it was when he first went to kindergarten that I pursued my master's. And then, so now he's out and I pursued my my PhD. I think it it was big because there's going to be a big void to fill. And Mm -hmm. I knew that. And I don't like to be bored. I don't like to sit around. And we already live a very full and busy and active life, but with no kids in the house, it was going to just get a little different. And so I think in the back of my mind, I was like, this might be good for me, like Mm -hmm. just personally to have something to pursue. I love to learn. I love education. I like formal education. I've, I've just always kind of had that little, that hat on. Yes. You had a bookworm in our bedroom when you were little, not in the classroom, but in our bedroom, you literally had the little circles that made, yeah. The book. Uh, Yeah, it's it's true. true. It's true. (laughs) It's true. It's true. (laughs) Facts. It's funny because I hadn't really, really put that together, but I do think that was definitely something that informed my decision. And I don't know, just created like, okay, this is, I can do this. This is a dream I've had for a long time and now might be the time. And and a question Mm -hmm. I didn't answer earlier that you asked was what does, does my day look like? Mm. And so this might be a good time to interject that, but there are some days it is 5.30 a.m. till 11 o'clock at night and it doesn't mm. stop. I get up, I go to school, I work a full day, I run from there to campus. And if I've got my, my evening classes, they're not done until sometimes till after 10. And by the time I come home and kind of unwind, it's a long day. So thankfully those are few and far between in my week, but um, it's, it's a constant thing. So it's, it's had to, I think, change the way I do things every moment. I try to be really intentional. And then when I'm resting, I try to be really intentional about that as well. So before when you weren't in school and working, how were you not intentional? Like be more specific about your intentionality. Is it, I know for me, it's while I'm window shopping online, you know, or I'm like, oh, what's our next trip? that we may or may never go on, you know, and I'm kind of meandering. Is it like that for you or is it something else that you sort of had to back away from? Um, I would say it was just time wasters. Like, I mean, maybe that's Mm -hmm. the TV show that I could get so engrossed in or um, probably even just working too much. Mm. It's 345 and I've got to leave. And that, that never happened before. So it's probably a good thing. It, 
allows me to create, forces me to create some better boundaries um, with work and home. And then just allowed me, I think that opportunity to just be more intentional, like, and figuring that out. Like I only have this amount of time to have dinner with my husband before I got to go to class. So, okay, we're going to cook dinner together, which we love to do. And then how do I fit all that in? And it's just more prescribed time as opposed to, mm-hmm. hey, what's for dinner kind of thing. And Time's a couple passing. hours goes by and you've done nothing. Do you think you'll return to your lingering hours at work? I mean, you're only a year after the semester, a year away. Do you think you'll try and kind of hold this schedule tight? Or can you imagine yourself going back to some of those old habits? I'd love to say that I will not do that. (laughs) However, on days I don't have class, I'm still at my school building till 530. So, you know, old habits don't die too quickly. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. I, I know I need to learn that for, again, just for my own self-care and nurturing. But as we've been talking about, it's just such a busy time. And so when my day is so consumed with a situation and then I can't get mm-hmm. to the academic piece, the college piece, and I've got deadlines, kids are going to college and I need to write their letters of recommendation. And I've got to turn in their transcripts and do all the things that's my only time to do that. So I would love to say I'll get back to some better habits, but until I start to see a shift in the needs of kids, that may be hard to do. That's an honest answer. I can appreciate that. I assume you've had people your age come up to you knowing that you're balancing both of these worlds and say to you either, I could never do what you're doing, that's crazy, or I would love to do what you're doing, and this is standing in my way. Have you had either of those scenarios? Both. Both. Okay. So what have you said to the woman who says, and and specifically women your age, what do you say to that woman who's like, I could never do what you're doing? I would say that I thought that same thing um, just a year and a half ago. And Mm -hmm. you just have to start by Mm -hmm. filling out that application by taking that kind of almost a leap of faith. Like, and I remember applying thinking, I mean, this is Ohio State University. Like, they're not going to want me. This is like, this Mm. this is the big dogs, right? And so just taking that first step and then having that first yes, although there were no's to other things that sometimes felt limiting, but hearing those yeses, it just compels you to keep going. And so I would encourage someone just, just start, just start somewhere. You know, um, whenever I have a goal, I try and do one thing every day towards that goal, mm. whether that's looking up a class. Okay, great. Whether that's reading a syllabus. Okay, great. Like just doing little small things because it can seem almost overwhelming. There are days when I feel that it's overwhelming. And sure. so I just have to remember just, just one thing. We're just going to do one thing today and get one step closer. Did you ever almost not do it? This time around, I went for it. I had these thoughts a long time ago, and I just yeah. always put them on the back burner. And I think it was just watching where my students were, and then now I'm going to be an empty nester. Maybe I have some more time. Maybe I have some more to give, and I really have a pursuit of wanting some answers. So all mm-hmm. those things, I think, made me not let go this time, but there were definitely times before when I just let it go. 
this idea of, and it's something, you know, we see it on Instagram all the time. We too have posted it, but this kind of concept of it's never too late, go for it. But there is this reality, right, of, well, it might not be too late, but I've got to hurry and make some decisions. I mean, if, if we're just kind of keeping it real, there is a sense of urgency. And I think what's cool about that is that it means that the decisions we're making are pr more precious. They count, right? We don't necessarily have time to screw around with, with these decisions. If not now, when? Did that play into this at all? For sure. Because I, in my head, I'm like, okay, so I guess... I'll be 55 when I can finally be called Dr. Nancy, right? Yeah. And then 55 seems like, oh, okay. That seems 55. really young, right? Seems really young. That's what yes. you're going to say. <laughs> Absolutely. And 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 with that, it it makes me realize there's so much more time after that to do mm -hmm. whatever comes next. And whether that's I stay in my K-12 role or I'm in a support role for K-12 schools and really advocating for mental health in schools because that's that's my heartbeat. Um, mm -hmm. It's not too late. So it, on one hand, it's this intimidating, whew, I'm going to be 55. On the other hand, it's like, I'm going to be 55 and yeah. I got this and we can do this and yeah. I still have time. I want to be part of the solution. I always think of like our kids, yours and mine, and how much in their short life, they've already lived. And I think I have ahead of me their whole lifetime. Mm -hmm. Why would I mm -hmm. not do something of import? Why would I not do something where I feel joy by the people I'm serving, where I feel called or compelled to that particular work because it's something that maybe hopefully uses my talents. And so when you, when you, all of a sudden you have that perspective, you're like, wait, there's still a lifetime ahead of me, right? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I do X, whatever X is? And so you're um, kind of charged to, to us to just start, I think is honestly the most important thing we can do because you iterate as, as you go yeah, and you adjust as you go. So I asked you a two-part question. I said, are there women that come to you and say, you know, kind of, I could never do this. And you say, well, I thought I couldn't do it either. And I did just put one foot in front of the other start. What about the woman who says to you, I want to, but kind of how, like, where do I start? I just don't know where to go from here. What's your advice to her? So I see this a lot in my, um, in some of the master students that I'm their supervisor, whether I'm their university supervisor or a site supervisor, like at a location. And so they're like, how do you do this? You're so busy. And they're just kind of wide eyed. And so just kind of talk to them about maybe the process and what that's like for me. And, and honestly, it's, if I can do this, you can do this, right? Like there's nothing, there's nothing so special about me. It's your mm. heart, your passion, and you're going to argue that maybe because you're my sister and you love me. No, but. it's not just because <laughs> I'm your sister. I mean, that is true too, but I, I would say that to anybody who I see is a highly motivated, smart, intentional person, you know? So yes, I, I understand that kind of the humility of if I can do it, you can do it. And I, and I appreciate that. And I think that is motivating for people like look what I did. I just put one foot in front of the other. And so you can do that same thing. But there are some things about you 
like your motivation and your discipline. And, you know, I was saying yes to this, but that meant I had to say no to some other things. How do you kind of caution them that, yes, you can do it, but here's what you need to know? I say this a lot on the podcast, like if if we really want to empower people, we have to tell them the truth. So what do you tell them to sort of prepare for that? whether it's going back to school or anything else that balances a full-time job and and then another thing. Consultation is really important as well as collaboration. And those Mm -hmm. I think are things that will help them to get through. And so I talk about how I've had to rely on some people to help me get through, whether it's my cohort and we're working on a group thing and they're just understanding of maybe my extra busy schedule and that it's okay to lean on others. Mm. Um, And that's important to understand, to collaborate, but also to consult, like when you don't know, who do you go to? Similar to how my head of school said, have a board of directors. Mm. I would challenge them with that. Like who are the people that are in your life that you need to consult and see like, are you ready to tackle this? And do you have that backing and support? I would also tell them that, you know, I've heard the word balance so much like, oh, how do you balance your time? And and I heard a great thing the other day and it said, I don't balance my time, but I find that I'm living my life in harmony hmm. and that things just, they go together. So while I might have those crazy long days, I can still talk about my passions. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm talking to that, that other woman that's like, I want to do this, kind of walk me through the steps. I would ask them, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? What is that next step for you that you feel so compelled that you have to do? Mm-hmm. Follow that. Follow mm-hmm. that. Because when that is speaking, when that voice is so loud, to ignore it, it, it just doesn't It doesn't quiet, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it doesn't just feel doesn't, like an option. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. And so when it's that nagging. is the thing that is just nagging them, I would encourage them to to follow that, to listen to that, and to be keen to that. And it may disrupt their schedule, but it might allow them to live in harmony in the other areas of their life as well. Yeah, that's a great answer. I remember one time, I don't, I think I was doing a workshop years ago, and this was not mine. It's not original, but I borrowed it. And it was the idea of balance. And I literally had one of those like old fashioned legal scales in order to achieve balance, you would put one thing on this side and then you'd have to, in equal part, put something on the other side. And it was like, do you see how we can become a slave to this mechanism of balance, right? And so I love this idea of harmony. It's about something much more holistic. That's fantastic. What would you say has been the most exciting part of taking on this endeavor of going back to school? I think being part of the conversation and having a seat at the table. And I don't know that I knew that was important to me until I had a little taste of what that felt like to be asked to speak at a conference or to be able to do stuff. And I did that before, but I think there's something that when you're in this role and you're pursuing this, people tend to maybe come to you as more of an expert and you're like, mm-hmm. I'm the same person, but th- this adds a little something. And so um, that kind of goes back to my, I want to be on the other side of the solutions. And so when I'm asked and when we're, I've just 
been a part of some really, really neat things about bringing mental health awareness into schools or into individuals or just one-on-one to other counselors across the country. And that to me has been the most special is opportunities to, to inform, to encourage, to challenge. And my goal at the end is I just want to help these kids. And I know that sounds cliche and Mm. that's what brings me to tears. That's what keeps me up at night. In what you know about mental health, in what you know about thriving, in what you know about people kind of living into um, their call or that nagging thing, do you think that us finding kind of, you know, some people call it our zone of genius and there's people have these different terms for this thing where when we live into it, we kind of we come to life, right? And we're offering what the world needs and that meets our deepest joy. And there's lots of people who have uh, been quoted around that theme. What, what in your professional sort of estimation is true about that? I, I think, and maybe it's even simpler than that, that kids today or students today, they want to be heard. Mm-hmm. They want to be understood. I, I hear that, gosh, so much. I just wish they would listen to me, whoever they is, whether it's a friend, a teacher, a parent, whatever. And and maybe it's it's just simple. It's just allowing someone to be who they are, mm. as the students would say, in a non-judgy way, right? Because <laughs> at the at the core, isn't that what we all want? We want to belong. Yeah. We want to feel needed. We want to feel wanted. We want to feel seen. And so I it's it's complex because it's so simple. Mm-hmm. It is so simple. Those are the things people want. And yet we live in a world where a lot of people feel invisible. A lot of people feel unheard, unseen. The advice that you would give them, you could give to our listener, you know, that we want to be seen and we want to be heard and we want to feel relevant. I think the work that you're doing will support students where they are and lead them into a uh, a healthy midlife where hopefully they will have figured that out by then. Well, and, and that I was just thinking too, just when you think of the word liberty, right. Mm-hmm. And, and everything that, that you are doing, man, if we could get these students to a good place now sure. where they feel a sense of freedom and a sense of liberation, then imagine who they're going to be in midlife. Right. Yeah. And, and, dealing and getting through some of the heartache and some of the hurt and some of the pain and, and to feel liberated now to then, wow, explode in midlife would be even better. So, I mean, we're really doing the same thing. We're just starting younger and letting them blossom. I don't know. Yours, yours is pretty stinking important. I mean, listen to all the midlife women out there. I love you guys. And this is important work, but your front lines. And I appreciate that. Before we let you go, I have to ask our our last five questions. What do you do? We've already talked about how balance is not the key here, but what do you do to stay grounded with your busy schedule? I try and take walks with my husband and my dogs and just keep that simple. I need that time for me, for Mm -hmm. us. And and so that's important. So just walks, simple things. And we love to cook dinner together and try fun recipes. And so when, again, we are home and present, just to be present for my family, that's important. What are you currently reading? 
Well, I'm sitting here looking at these books on like my research <laughs> identity and a field guide to grad school and all these things that are not fun. But, and not that this book is fun, but there's a book by Chap Clark called Hurt uh, 2.0. And it's a book about just kind of where teenagers are today in culture. And he did a really fantastic kind of study of these students. And so, well, it's not a fun read. It's a very informative, but informal kind of read on culture today with adolescents. Is it academic or can parents pick it up? Oh, parents could absolutely pick it up. You could get it anywhere. We'll make sure to link to that. And then what do you do to relax besides walking and cooking with your husband? What's a kind of wind down for for Nancy? Gosh, this is going to sound really cheesy perhaps, but Wednesday (laughs) night, all the Chicago shows, Chicago Mad, Chicago (laughs) Fire I know you're probably looking for something a little more. No, that's awesome. I can just put on my PJs and just get lost. And and here's why I love it, though. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have to solve anything. Yeah. But every problem gets solved in an hour. And it's fantastic. I feel better about myself because the problem was solved and I didn't do anything. We just got a little bit into your psyche. Completely. I actually heard Jimmy Fallon ask... Who did he ask? But he asked about how somebody ends their day, ends a hard day or something. And the answer was a bath and desperate housewives. <laughs> desperate housewives? Is that? No. No, the real housewives of whatever. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Okay. That's what it was. And um, she said almost the same thing that you said. It's somebody else's problem. I just get to watch it. It's not my problem. Yes. And that helps me wind down. So yes. s- somewhat similar. So, so that helps. But I also just try and take time to just stay involved with my my church community. That that kind of thing. That to me is, is a big piece. And that's probably more the real answer. But I do like all those shows on Wednesday nights. I appreciate so. it. I didn't even know they were Wednesday night shows. I have my own TV issues, but it's not Wednesday night, Chicago, (laughs) anything. So I'll I'll tune in just to check them out. You have a daughter. What do you want Hannah to know about midlife? Like, what do you want to make sure that she's prepared for, um, ready for, or maybe if she has false information about this stage of life that you'd like to correct? The best is yet to come. Mm. Right. And she's doing some really, really fantastic things now. And I love that. And that's so great. But I don't see her stopping. Like, I don't think midlife is a place to to stop, but rather to pivot, to venture into new things. Because she and I've had these conversations, she looks at like the things you're doing, maybe the things I'm doing. And and she sees that it doesn't just end at a certain time yeah. that you can keep going. And so I would want her to just to to know that there's there's so much more to do. And what you think you know now, 20 years from now, you yeah. realize you know nothing. And, yeah. and the, the wisdom you'll gain along the way. And then, of course, we can't end an episode with asking how the work that you've done or the decision that you've made, rather, to go back to school, how has that liberated you in advance of finishing your degree and being able to move into the world as Dr. Nancy Gillespie. But right now, the just the decision to pursue that PhD, how has that liberated you? Ooh, um, it keeps me grounded in a very weird way hmm. because I'm constantly learning. And so I can't just rely on 
what I've known. And so for me, that is liberating because education is so important to me. And mm-hmm. um, so I just find a lot of joy in that when I learn something new, even my hardest classes. I'm taking a class right now. I don't even know what the title of it means. And <laughs> general linear modeling. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And it's a statistics mm-hmm. class. And, and it's so hard for me. But when I like can sit down and focus and I get it, when I like conceptually can learn something new, that's fun for me. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of constantly and always being a lifelong learner and having that kind of a tangible thing too. So that's been freeing for me to know that I still got it in a way. Mm -hmm. And you do, you still got it. Thank you for sharing this time with us and your process, your process of deciding to go back to school, how you did it, why you did it, the impact that it's already made on your life, on your career. So appreciate it. And I know so many people will listen and be compelled to consider their own possibilities, like if this is something for them. So thank you for that. Thank you. This was so awesome and fun. And not just because you're my sister that I love dearly, but I just respect the work that you're doing. And I think it's so important that we speak to just women right where they are. And We are at such a rich time in our life, and we have so many others to inform and to encourage and to challenge. And so I love what you're doing, and thank you for letting me be on the journey with you. Absolutely. Thank you for saying yes. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys for joining us. We will be back next week with another amazing guest. Thank you guys for tuning in. Bye for now. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.